Welcome to freedom. Free to love and to be loved. That's our session today. I trust that during these past several weeks, the Lord's been ministering to your heart and you truly are becoming fully alive. That's what this series is all about. Freedom, becoming fully alive. As we've had revelation more and more that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we've been willing to forgive even as we've been forgiven, as we've rejected rejection and we've allowed the Lord to cleanse us and deliver us from all shame. And now today, free to be loved, free to love one another. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord and trust that he'll make this a time filled with revelation and motivation and inspiration for him. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray your blessing on our time, that your anointing, that your revelation will flow here today. We want to be in the life flow here today, Lord, because you are life. So, Lord, flow in our midst, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive, and our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and move on our hearts to obey in response to all that we hear today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Free to love and to be loved. I trust you all have an outline today. Who do you love? That's the first question I have today. Are you a lover of self and pleasure, or are you a lover of God and others? Let's refer to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, starting with verse 1. If you want to turn there, you can. If you want to just sit back and receive and listen and look it up later, I'll leave that up to you. It says in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, starting with verse 1, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Sound familiar as to the days that we live in that are so marked with a general overall very common attitude of being a lover of pleasure, a lover of self, but not a lover of God and a lover of others. Let's also turn to Matthew 22, verse 37, and then we'll talk more about this. Matthew 22, starting with verse 37. Matthew 22, starting with verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. As you think of your life, are you a lover of self and pleasure, or are you a lover of God and others? Probably the supreme love test is something we've talked about in previous sessions, and that is forgiving others. How do I know that to be true? The reason why I believe that that is the supreme test of loving is because it took the supreme act of love to make that possible. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He came to defeat the works of the devil. It cost him his very life as he purchased us from the marketplace of sin. As he died for us, it, it, it took his very life for us to be forgiven. And now that we are, he, he's given us his indwelling life and power to forgive others. There's no greater love test as far as applying this session today, walking in it, free to love and to be loved. We will not be able to love others. We will not be able to forgive others unless the lover lives in us and the forgiver lives in us. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you forgive someone, you are actually loving God more than yourself at that point? I don't know whether you've thought about it that way. When you forgive someone, when you cancel the debt, they've offended you, they've done something or failed to do something, they've offended you, they've hurt you, they've wronged you, at least in your mind and in your heart, and now when you're faced with God's command to forgive them, have you ever thought that in order to really forgive them, you're really choosing God over them? And you're really choosing God over what you want from them. You're really making him more important to you than them and what you want from them and the claim that you have on them. Because that, as we've talked before, that's what unforgiveness really is. It's a claim. You owe me, as it says in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 21 and following, the parable of the unforgiving servant who had been forgiven a debt he could never pay, millions. And then he went after that fellow servant and wanted that $20. Pay me what you owe me. That's unforgiveness. I've got a claim on you. You've done something wrong. I think it should have been done differently. I think this is what you should have done. This is what would have been right. I've even got a Bible verse to support what I think is right. Pay me what you owe me. But when we forgive, we cancel the debt. What do we have in return? <laughs> We've given up our claim, but now what do we have? We have freedom because we take Jesus. We make him our desire. We allow him to be all that we need. We forgive others 
They owe us nothing for our sake because he has given us everything that we need, everything that we desire. We give him that place. So simply stated, when you forgive someone, do we realize that we're actually loving God more than ourselves? So when we think of these passages that I've just read, love God, love one another, and 2 Timothy, the third chapter, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure. So if we're going to forgive, we've got to give that up. We have to give up the pleasure of being satisfied in that situation because of our claim being fulfilled on our terms. That'll make us feel better, perhaps. But we give that up. And we exchange being a lover of self and a lover of pleasure for being a lover of God. We choose him. So think of that if you're offended today. You probably will be today or soon, very soon. On planet Earth, we will be. And think of that when you're faced with, now what do I do? This is wrong. How could they do this? And it really makes it hard if they profess to be a believer because we tend to expect, expect more from believers or we expect more from family or we expect more from leaders. Fill in the blank. Whoever you expect more from, that's a greater test. But uh, keep in mind that the love test has already been passed. Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven. Are we willing to give up our claim? Because he's forgiven us so much and we choose him. Lord, I'd rather have you. I'd rather have a closer relationship with you than to hold this against them because I realize if I continue to hold it against them, it's gonna hurt my relationship with you and I'm gonna be disobeying you and I don't want anything to hurt my relationship with you and I don't wanna grieve you, I don't wanna offend you, I wanna obey you. That's what's at stake here. So a lover of self and pleasure versus a lover of God. Secondly, how do we love? Point B on your outline. Are you loving others as Christ loved you? Or are you loving others the way they love you? Let's turn to John, the 13th chapter. Take a closer look at that. John 13, 34. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, Love one another. Sounds familiar, what we've been talking about, of course. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's kind of interesting. It's not like we're living our lives to impress anybody, but... Um, People are watching. People do know how we live. And uh, we realize we can't live to please them because that could potentially be a black hole. We need to be living to please God. But it's interesting how the Lord puts it that way. Love one another as I've loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. All men will know you're mine if you love one another. Let's look to uh, Luke 6 also before we comment further. Luke 6, 32. 
Luke 6, 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting anything in return or getting anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I've got a couple more questions to ask you in this regard. Do you see loving others as an obedience issue? I pray that we do. I mean, there may be more than one reason why we're motivated, you know, to love because or forgive, as the case may be, as I've just been talking about. We may be motivated because we realize if we don't forgive others, for example, it'll affect our hearts and we'll become more and more miserable and, and we don't want to be miserable, so we'll forgive, so we'll feel better. Well, that's good, but that's not the bullseye. That's not the highest reason. The highest reason is always obeying him because he's God, he's worthy. But as we go along, it will be my desire to help you see, along with that, a supporting cast of purposes. But I don't want to lose sight of the primary purpose, even as we talk about the supporting cast of purposes surrounding the primary purpose. And of course, right at the bullseye is, it's an obedience issue. Loving others is an obedience issue. Said a different way, it's making him, Jesus, the reason that we love others, not making them the reason, primarily speaking. For one thing, they might be a good reason, but they're not a good enough reason. And what will happen is, if you're motivated to love them, and along with that you want to please them, when they offend you, how motivated are you going to be? <laughs> Your motivated, motivation will sag on it. All of a sudden, they won't be as good enough reason because it's dependent upon them and their behavior, their gratitude, how they're treating you, etc. But if Jesus is the reason, then no matter how the other person is, oh, yes, it may be challenging. Oh, yes, it may be a test. And we've talked about the supreme test. But if Jesus is the reason then that's the constant. That's the constant right there. No matter what they're like, he's the reason. Obeying him because he's the reason you do what you do or don't do, as the case may be. So making Jesus the reason, not the other person the reason. And along with that, are we, love, are we willing to love when we're not loved back? That is challenging, isn't it? Because we, we like to be loved back. We like a little encouragement. But as these verses make clear, it's loving, even your enemies. 
And that doesn't mean you have to like what they do. God doesn't like perhaps what they do, so you don't have to. But you want the best for them. You want God to have his way with them. And that's the highest cause right there. You want him to have his way with them. So loving them, whether they love you back, giving whether they give back, not giving to get, but living to give. Jesus is the reason that we live. He is the reason that we give. He is the reason that we love. He is the reason that we forgive. He must be. He must be. That's it right there. That's the bullseye. Jesus is the reason. And it's because we love him. If you love me, obey me. Do we love him? Then we will obey him, or at least we'll have it in our hearts to obey him. Sometimes we'll fail. But I pray that even when we do, it'll still be in our hearts what King David said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. Did King David always obey? No. He committed adultery. He had Uriah set up to be vulnerable on the front line of battle. Murder. He took a head count. Pride. Not really showing effective leadership, wronging the nation of Israel. Yes, he sinned. Yes, it's documented in the Bible. And yet God calls him a man after his heart. Amazing. Amazing. And, and I believe it's in Acts 13.22. I'll look it up later to be sure. But I believe it's in Acts 13.2 where the Bible makes reference that God removed Saul and put David in his place because he said, David will do what I want him to do. That was God's view of David. David will do what I want him to do. Did David always do the will of God? No. But isn't that interesting? God sees the heart intent. So let's not make this a sinless perfection thing. Let's not let the devil twist this around and take a verse like John 14, 15, I believe it is. If you love me, obey me. So that if I'm not obeying him today, the enemy can get in there and lie to us and say, well, you must not love God. You didn't obey today. I got you. And you may think, well, yeah, I didn't obey. I must not love God. It's a lie. It's a lie. Do you know your heart? And though your, and though your heart may condemn you at times, and the devil certainly will condemn your heart at times, but when you condemn your heart at times... Who is greater than your heart and your portion forever? God himself is greater than our heart. So, is he the reason? I pray that he will be. I really believe that's the essence of the fear of God. The fear of God is, oh, better look out or I'm going to get smashed. Oh, I better get out or I'll get vaporized. Oh, better not make a wrong move or it's game over. That's not the fear of the Lord. Oh, I better do the right thing. I'm afraid if I don't, something bad will happen to me. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is taking him so seriously, taking his word so seriously, being so reverent, so devoted, so committed, so in love with him that he is the reason that you do what you do or don't do, as the case may be. That is the fear of the Lord. We agree with him. Humility agrees with him. And the fear of the Lord makes him the reason. He's the reason. He's the reason. 
That will be the antidote to the fear of man because the fear of man is a snare and we'll be putting others ahead of God because we'll be afraid of rejection or afraid of disfavor or afraid of getting fired or afraid of what people may think. But the fear of the Lord covers all of that and makes Jesus the reason. If I do get rejected, if I do, if I have less favor, if I do get fired, if somebody does reject me, the overarching reality that I live by is Jesus is the reason. He is sufficient. He's my life. There may be consequences. There may be hurt. There may be pain. There may be gain at times, but there may be loss. But he's the reason. Is he your reason? The reason you love? The reason you forgive? The reason that you live? Is he the motivation? As you're faced with a very trying, challenging situation today, be it forgiving someone or be it uh, persevering through a rocky road scenario or um, rough waters as the case may be, and it's really challenging, be it finance or business or relationship or whatever, is he the reason that you obey today? Or are you going to think, well, that person, you know, I... They're doing thus and so. They're a lousy example. Or that a person offended me. Or are we going to let people get in the way? Are we going to let circumstances get in the way? Are we going to let our mood get in the way? Our health get in the way? Externals get in the way? Or are we going to live from the eternal reality? He's the reason. Oh, it's still hard at times. It's still painful at times. It's still devastating at times. But he's the reason. He's the reason that I live. He's the reason I forgive. He's the reason that I love. He's the reason that I forgive. Is he your reason? How much do we love? How much do we love? So far we've talked about who do you love, followed by how do we love, and now how much do we love? Let's take a look at Luke 7. Luke 7, 36 through 47. Luke 7, 36 through 47. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster bar of jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, him being Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, this, if this man were a prophet, referring to Jesus, he would know who's touching him, that she, what kind of woman she is, that, she, that she's a sinner. Doesn't he get it? Doesn't he know? And Jesus answered Simon, the Pharisee, not Simon Peter, because he could read his thoughts, because he had a word of knowledge. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and she, I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Before we take a little pause, I'd like you to contemplate have you been forgiven much? And do you see any relationship between how much you realize you've been forgiven and how readily and willing you are to forgive others? And along with that, do you see any correlation between how much you realize you're loved by the Lord Jesus and how ready and willing and able you are to love others. I'd like you to meditate that on that a moment because it relates to how much do you love? Do you love a little and forgive little? Or do you love much and forgive much? Let's pause for a moment and contemplate that. Are we loving others in the light of how we've been loved? It reminds me of the parable of the unforgiving servant once again back in Matthew 18, verses 21 and following, how he had actually asked for more time to pay that debt he could have never paid. I really believe that's revealing because he must have thought he could do it. Are we convinced we can still live this life on our own strength? Are you convinced that you can actually love somebody that's hard to love on your own strength? Are you convinced you can actually forgive someone without being forgiven? And along with that, realizing how much you have been? I believe in the story that I just read, the much and the little doesn't relate to, well, some people have sinned more and some have sinned less, and of course the ones who have sinned more need to be forgiven more. I believe the more or the less relates to the revelation because we all have needed to be forgiven much. All of us have. When I was running my life and Mindy was running hers, part of the revelation that God gave her was that though I wore my sin outwardly on my shirt sleeve, abusively, verbally, emotionally, and even physically abusing her, totally wrong, insanely jealous, controlling, demanding, not a nice guy at all, arrogant, prideful, mocking. She was the little Miss Goody Two-Shoes, as she would say, the little girl growing up who always was the compliant child, always did what her mom and dad wanted her to do, the obedient child, so to speak. But the Lord gave her revelation in the midst of our marriage strife and circumstance and all that was going on. The Lord showed her one day that she was no different on the inside. Her heart was really no different than what she was seeing on my outside. And that was revolutionary to her. 
Because unless we see that, we'll tend to think, well, you know, they're the ones that really are in bad shape here. They're the ones that need to change. They're the ones that are the sinners. I'm not as bad. So if they'll change, things will be better, right? The answer is we just need to get them to change. That's the key. And that will keep us from seeing. <laughs> That'll keep us from seeing the beam in our own eye, so to speak. Because we're so focused on the other person's wrong. But the Lord was so kind, so loving, he showed her her sin. It expressed itself differently. But at the heart level, at the core, seeing what God sees, it was the same. So the more, the forgiving more, needing to be forgiven more, has to do with revelation. And the more we know we need to be, and once we have been, as we really see it for what it is, it affects everything in terms of how we relate to others. So in the parable of the unforgiving servant, here the unforgiving servant had been forgiven millions. The way he related to his fellow servant doesn't tell us that he realized how much he'd been forgiven. It was much in quantity, it was much in reality, but he didn't have the revelation, and he lived like he didn't have the revelation. Do we know how much we need to be forgiven if we haven't surrendered our lives to the Lord? And as we have, if we have, and now we're forgiven, sons and daughters, are we really in touch with this is a great debt. <laughs> this is a great debt that's been paid. I could have never paid it, and it cost the Son of God his very life. I mean, that's expensive. That is the greatest test of love. If you have seen the Passion movie, you know vividly, as, as, this, is, as this was presented, obviously vividly in the Word of God, but in that movie, how they beat him all the way to Calvary. They scourged him all the way. There was a scourging event, but then they, ke they kept on beating on him all the way to Calvary. And as he hung from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When I saw that movie, and I've seen it more than once, I, I, I've thought more than once, this is a love story. It's not the love story back in 1970, love is never having to say you're sorry. That's not Bible. That's not biblical. It's not a biblical view because we know that love does say you're sorry. Love forgives. Love seeks forgiveness. Love sacrifices. So we know it's not the word of God as it was depicted in that movie. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. And I'm not talking about Romeo and Juliet a romantic picture of love, which too is not a biblical picture either. But I'm talking about God's picture of love, God's act of love, the greatest act of love, giving his life. That's what we cost. We're expensive. Do we know how much we needed to be? and not a shame on you and not don't you realize it how much you've been forgiven you ought to be ashamed if you don't realize it no 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 that's not what i'm saying in fact i'm saying the opposite because this woman in this story she had she had to have been before she submitted to the love of god she had to have been filled with shame she had been rejected 
she had been rejected because of her sexual, her, her um, pr uh, promiscuity, her promiscuous lifestyle. She had to have suffered rejection in that regard and the shame of her own sin. She was filled with shame and had experienced rejection, but you see no hint of shame and rejection in this story, do you? Because she was in the presence of the one who is love. She was in the presence of the one who is forgiveness. She had submitted to his love. She had allowed his love to wash all of her shame away and all of her rejection he took away. And then he said in verse 48, one verse further beyond what I read earlier, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He that has been or she that has been forgiven much loves much. I'm convinced one reason why there's so much love overflowing in my heart is because I, I know the much. I'm in touch with the much that has been given. I'm in touch with the much that has been forgiven, and I am motivated. We'll talk more about that later, but I'm motivated to love because I'm so grateful. I'm so amazed. Are you amazed? Are you amazed that he would forgive you? Are you amazed that he would die for you? Are you amazed that he would take all of your shame away? He wants to if you're not experiencing that today. Are you amazed that he wants to deliver you from all the rejection? If he hasn't, he wants to today. Are you amazed at his love? Are you amazed at his grace? Are you amazed that he would die for you and for me? And I'm convinced if we, were to be, if we would have been the only ones left on planet Earth, if there would only have been one of us, just anyone, just one person, he would have done the same thing. It's that personal because Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and it was the will of the Father to rescue us, to redeem us, to restore us unto himself. And he was mocked and reviled in the process, and there was no guarantee who would respond, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised it, shame. He did the will of the Father. He wasn't a victim. Jesus was not drugged to the cross. And I, I just can't get it out of my mind, that picture in the movie, The Passion of Jesus, when he's on Calvary's Hill, and he's almost there. And they've almost come to the point where they've nailed him to the cross, but they didn't, those soldiers didn't pick him up and throw him on the cross. They didn't have to wrestle with him on Calvary's Hill. They didn't have to fight with him. They didn't have to pin him down. They didn't have to converge on him and gang on him and just fight to get him to hold down and hold still while we nail you to the cross. No, he crawled. Just that picture, I can't get that picture out of my mind. He crawled. He crawled onto the cross. And I know that was in the movie, but I believe it's the essence of reality, that he was not a victim, but he came to do the will of the Father. This is a love story, the ultimate love story. How much do you love? Do you love like you've been loved a lot? Do you forgive like you've been forgiven a lot? And where does 
your love come from? Who or what is the source of your love? Let's turn to John, the 17th chapter. John, the 17th chapter. Verse 26. John 17, verse 26. This is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. It is a passage in scripture where Jesus in his humanity, keeping in mind he, while on planet earth, was all God and all man. So he's now praying from his humanity and addressing the Father. So he's saying in verse 26, I have made you known to them. So I, Jesus, have made you, the Father, known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. If you thought about it this way, that the love you have for me, Father, the love you have for the Son will be in them for the Son. That's what it means for the lover to move in. When the lover moves in, you repent of running your life, and you wholeheartedly surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and he is now your life. He moves in by his Spirit. The lover moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in. What's true? What's true is that the love that the Father has for the Son is now in you for the Son. So we don't gear up this love. We cooperate with this love. It is not a feeling issue, though there may be feelings, but the feelings don't define it. It's deeper than that. I can remember a time where I went through a love test. I had a person in my life who was really hard to love. And uh, if I went by feelings, I would say, there were no feelings. This, this person had no appeal to me. There was no motivation to love them. There were no feelings, no inclination, no desire, nothing, nothing, nothing. What was I to do if I'm going to obey? Well, the Lord showed me something that was revolutionary in my life, and it, and it really relates to this. You know, you've heard it said that love is a choice, but the Lord showed me a new dimension that was even deeper than that, and I learned to love this person by faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in the lover in me because I knew that the lover lived in me, and I knew that the lover loved them. So on the ground of Christ in me, the hope of glory, on the ground of his word, on the ground of that reality, I cooperated with that reality. And <laughs> the Lord, <laughs> it was amazing. What happened is what it says in Romans 5.5, 5. and let's read that. Romans 5, 5. Romans 5, 5, where it says, 
Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love. God, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What happened is I began to experience the pouring out, the manifestation of the pouring out of God's love in and through me. But had I not cooperated, had I thought, well, I don't feel like I love this person, so I'm not going to pretend. And I didn't pretend. Well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And I wasn't being a hypocrite. There was nothing on my radar screen. There was, no, there was nothing in my flesh, which was the temporary human part of me that will not be a part of my reality when I die. If you want to know, if you want to get a picture of who you really are in your essence, I mean, we're not illusions. We have spirit, soul, and body. These earth suits are real. But when we, e when we are ejected from these earth suits, <laughs> when we're separated from these earth suits, because absence from the body is presence with the Lord. That's death. Death is separation. De death doesn't mean you cease to exist. Death is separation. Whether it's separation from God eternally, if you never repent and believe and you're separated from God, lost in hell and eventually thrown into the lake of fire, that is eternal separation. But death is a separation of the eternal part of you from the temporary part of you. And when our bodies are shed, so to speak, when we, when we die, we don't cease to exist. The inner man, the the eternal part of us lives on. And that is the truest picture of reality. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We're a spiritual being more than we are anything else, but we are temporarily housed in an earth suit. That's reality too. Spirit, soul, and body, that's part of the triunity of man. But the truest thing about us is the spiritual dimension the inner man. And in my inner man, in union with Christ, oh yes, my earth suit, my memories, my flesh, if you will, says, oh, if you don't feel like, don't do it. You don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? So that's the flesh talking, and the devil likes to get in there too. Demonic spirits like to get in there and lie too. But what are we going to believe? Who are we going to put faith in? Are we going to put faith in our flesh, faith in our feelings, faith in our mental intellect, faith in logic? Or are we going to put faith in the Son of God? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, the old I, who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, temporary part of my being, I live by faith. In whom? The one who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So... This was a transformational thing. Now, it's not like I'm faced with this very often, but it was so encouraging. Some people, as you know, are easy to love. They're easy to love. David Gardner is easy to love. Pat Kank is easy to love. John Weir is easy to love. Bob Hansen is easy to love. Scott Farrah King is easy to love. There's all kinds of men around me here that are easy to love, and others as well. But there are some people in your life that are not going to be easy to love. <laughs> They're going to be a challenge. And you might be a challenge to somebody too, by the way. But from your point of view, from your point of view, I was put to a supreme test here. And it wasn't like this person was wronging me. I just didn't like them. I didn't really care if I was around them. 
There was no appeal. There was no desire. But the Lord wanted to move me into another dimension. Yes, love by choice, but love according to who you are. Love by faith. And as I cooperated with the Holy Spirit in me, he, he, it's amazing, but he actually gave me a heart for this person. Do you believe it? It was incredible. But if I would have resisted, for whatever reason, would I have ever had a heart for this person? God's heart for them? God's heart? God's compassion? Really being in it with my whole heart? Not just with my will, but with my heart, my mind and emotions as well? the deepest part of me as well, would I have ever entered in and had a heart for this person? I don't think so. So, where does your love come from? Do you believe that the lover now lives in you? The lover lives in me. My, I didn't learn how to love my wife from my dad. I haven't really learned how to love my wife from any other man. Not that I haven't seen some encouraging examples once in a while, but, and I really didn't learn it from a book. I really didn't learn it off of a tape series. I really, it didn't, the lover moved in, and I've cooperated with the lover. <laughs> he knows how to love. He knows how to love. Will we let him love in and through us on his terms? On his terms. I'm not talking about a permissive kind of love, where everything's okay. You just do what you want to do, and if it doesn't, you know, as long as it doesn't bother me, it's okay. No, 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 no. Love is pure. Love is clean. Love is wise. Love hates sin. Love is holy. Love isn't just a nice person who never rocks the boat, never gets in the way, and never tells anybody, they're, never confronts anybody. Love confronts at times. Love is authentic. Love is real. Love will rebuke at times. Love will discipline at times. Love is not a pushover. Love sacrifices. And we know the ultimate example of that, Jesus Christ. So, do you believe the lover lives in you? So many times people will tell me, and they've told me over the years, well, I don't know how to love. I'm thinking, no problemo. <laughs> The lover, is the, if the lover lives in you, cooperate with the lover. And we've been, I pray you've, you've, you've seen what we've, been, what we've been doing these past several weeks. We have been getting the stuff out of the way, get rejection out of the way, get shame out of the way, get things out of the way, get unforgiveness out of the way, give room for the lover to come alive in us. It's not so much, if you're like a garden hose hooked up to the house, so to speak, and you turn it on. Really what it amounts to is getting the kinks out of the hose as opposed to, well, we got the water source on. Okay, water, get through that hose. Come on, water. Water, get through. Water, get through. So now Christ has moved in us. Okay, love, love, get through. Love better. Forgive better. Come on, gear it up. Gear it up. No, the flow is there. The source is there. The power is there. Everything we need to life for God, life and godliness is there. What we've been doing is getting the kinks out of the hose. <laughs> and then the love will flow. Let's get, or you can use another analogy. Do you have hardening of arteries? Hardening of the love lines. <laughs> the Lord wants to get rid of the hardening of the love lines. 
Some of our hearts have gone cold. Some of our hearts have become resentful and bitter. We need a new heart in some cases. God gives us a new heart. But some of us have a new heart, but we're still wounded. So the Lord wants to heal. He wants to open up those love lines. He wants to live. He wants to flow. He wants to love. He wants to forgive. Let him, let him, let him. He's the source. And he's made us sons and daughters. So David, you're a lover. Don't tell me. Don't tell me you don't know how to love. You're a lover. Cooperate with the lover in you. Bob, you're a lover. Cooperate with the lover in you. Just cooperate. Forgive is cooperating. Humbling yourself is cooperating. Agreeing with God is cooperating. Rejecting rejection is cooperating. Cooperate with the lover. Agree with who he says you are. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. That's not cooperating. That's not cooperating. He's counted us worthy. Cooperate. Cooperate. Let him love. Let him love. Let him flow. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. I can do nothing apart from him, but I can do all things he wants me to do through Christ who strengthens me. Why do we love? Why do we love? What motivates me to love? Let's read Ephesians, the third chapter. I love, well, I love it all. I mean, this is all. The word of God is so wonderful. So I pray that you will meditate on these verses and soak in them and meditate and, and uh, just let him have his way. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 14. And I'm just going to read a portion of that and have you read it later so that you can soak in it further. But the last part of that passage that I've got listed on your outline, 14 through 19, but as it says and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the, to the measure, the full measure, to the full measure of the fullness of God. And then in 1 John 4, 17 through 19, I'm just going to emphasize the last verse, and I'll let you read the rest and meditate on it. But it says, we love because he first loved us. Those verses that precede verse 19 are almost like a summary of what we've been talking about today. As you, as you press into that, you'll see that God is love. And then it culminates in verse 19 in terms of the section that I'm asking you to read and study and meditate on later is we love because he first loved us. So are you motivated to give away what he's given to you? And do you want others to experience that love that is in you? I've noticed sometimes that some people will say, that they really don't have much of a need for love. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's kind of like they're satisfied with God. Yes, may it be. But they don't necessarily, they're not into relationship. They're not into relationship with one another. And I don't know whether they are concerned about um, um, looking to others too much. You know, maybe in the past they have, and they want to make sure they don't do that again. So it's kind of like, yes, uh, got things right right here vertically with Jesus and you know they just won't allow themselves to really enter into an interdependency two-way relationships and allow themselves to really receive but I'm convinced I'm convinced that the greater the greater revelation you have of his love for you the easier it will be for you to receive because it's like oh I've tasted I've tasted and I love this love I love this love and when John Weir is loving me I know it's the love of God coming through him and I love to be loved by John Weir I love to be loved when I recognize it's coming from a pure heart and I know it's, it's the source of it is God so I drink it in I love it I love it because it's God 
I'm tasting it, I'm experiencing it. And then I am even more motivated to give it away because I want others to experience it too. I've received this great love and I want you to taste it too. I want you to experience it too. So have you ever noticed that so many times that people, they'll say that Christ is sufficient, but they don't really like to receive. But I've noticed many times they don't really do much giving either of love because I'm wondering if it's because they really haven't tasted that deeply, his love. Because when you've tasted it, when you've received it, when you have been drinking deeply of his love, you, you want others to drink too. That's what's motivating me. That's what inspires me. When I see you, my heart comes alive and I want to love you because the lover has loved me and I want you to taste and see that he is good. It is not taste and see, Steve. It is taste and see the lover loving through me. So how about you? Free to love? Free to be loved? I pray this, this will be a growing reality for each of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Add the increase. Make it real, Lord. You're the lover within. May we drink deeply of you, drink the full measure, and then pour it out to others. In Jesus' name. <laughs>